You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. I want to introduce our guest this morning. Uh, her, she is not a stranger to the staff and to me. Uh, her and her husband, Roger, are just a wonderful couple. I've known of Chris and her ministry. She's an ordained minister uh, with the with the Assemblies of God and has traveled and speaks and her testimony is incredible. I'd heard bits of, of that. Today she's here to preach the Word of God and to challenge us uh, on Mother's Day. And uh, we just want to give her a warm welcome. God is using her and uh, we want your heart and your mind to be open to what she has to say. And so let's give her a wonderful, great welcome here from the Gateway Church. This is Chris Bassett. Amen. Thank you. You guys know how to do welcome. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I want to also say Happy Mother's Day to the moms that are here. And I want to thank Pastor Ben for inviting me. As he said, this has been in the works for over a year, so I'm so excited to finally be here. I've been really looking forward to this. And um, I said in the first service, pastors, it's hard to separate a pastor from his pulpit sometimes. (laughs) So I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to speak to you today. And the other thing I want to say is thank you so much for your support of Jeff. He wouldn't be able to do what he does without your faithful support in giving and praying. And um, he sends greetings to you from him and his family. And um, we just want to say thank you for, for all that you do for him. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can gather here today to honor our mothers. I pray a blessing on each one of them. We're grateful for what they do for us. Lord, have your hand on the rest of this service. May it bring honor and glory to you. And he asks this in your holy name. Amen. Well, again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms here today. We can't all be moms, but every one of us has a mom. Regardless of what the relationship is like, if it were not for her, you wouldn't be here. So whether your mom is living or dead, whether you had a close relationship or a distant one, I'd like to say thank you to all of our moms for bringing us into this world and giving us this chance to live in God's creation as one of his children. Motherhood is probably the most challenging job a woman will ever have, and it's also the one you have the least training for. So it's fitting that we should honor mothers. Someone tell me how many days are there in a year? 365, right. Now, what is 365 minus 1? 364. You didn't know there was going to be a test this morning, did you? Math, even. (laughs) Well, that one day is Mother's Day. So does that mean that we honor our mother on the second Sunday in May, and then we can forget about them? We've done our duty? Of course not. The fifth commandment tells us that we must honor our mother and father. It means for every day of the year, not just one on Mother's Day. 
And I want you to hold that thought about that commandment because I'm going to come back to it in a few minutes. While mothers always have wisdom to impart. Remember being told that your ears were so dirty you could grow potatoes in them? Well, I don't know how the potatoes would fit, you know, but... Or if you make a face like that, you'll stick like it, right? Just because everyone is doing it, it doesn't mean you have to. If they jumped off a cliff, would you do it? And <laughs> that's how you hurt your knee, right? <laughs> and here's another favorite. Make sure you wear clean underwear. You never know, you might get in an accident. And I bet you can think of many others. Honor your father and mother. Proverbs 10 verse 1 tells us that a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. I'd like to tell you a little bit about the origins of Mother's Day. Did you know there were two? I bet some of you didn't. The Brits, I'm from Britain, you may have figured that out by now, that's why I talk funny. The, our, our grandchildren are desperately trying to teach us how to speak their, Ameri their language, which is American grandma, but they're not succeeding. The Brits have mother in Sunday, and we have Mother's Day. Well, aren't they the same thing, you ask? No. Let me tell you the difference. This is your history lesson for the day. Mothering Sunday began in Britain in the 1600s. It was celebrated on the fourth Sunday in Lent, usually sometime in March, as part of the church calendar. In those days, by the time a child reached about the age of 10, they were shipped off to some rich person's house to work as a servant. People had large families then and they couldn't provide for them. So this was a way of putting a roof over their head and food in their tummy. Depending upon the disposition of the master of the house, it could be pleasant or unpleasant. Certainly there wasn't much time off and very little money. Once a year, they were given a day off to go to worship at their mother church and see their family and visit their mom. This was the, probably the only time they saw their mother all year. On the way home, the kids would pick wildflowers and give them to their mothers. When I was a kid, we were allowed to gather daffodils from the churchyard. They used to grow wild amongst the graves in a very old churchyard. And we were allowed to pick them and take them home to our moms. So daffodils still have a special nostalgia for me. Now, Mother's Day, which we are celebrating today, has different origins. Anna Jarvis was the daughter of an activist in the Civil War. When her mother died in 1905, she started the crusade to have a special day honoring mothers. In 1907, she passed out white carnations to each mother at her church, white to symbolize the purity of a mother's love. The first Mother's Day service was held on May the 10th, 1908, on a Sunday to set it aside as a holy day. It was held at Anna Jarvis's church on the anniversary of her mother's death. She began a letter-writing campaign to politicians, ministers, and businessmen, and it was successful. In 1914, President Woodrow Wilson made a proclamation declaring the first National Mother's Day. 
And quickly, the day became commercialized. Anna Jarvis spent the rest of her life and her inheritance protesting this. And when she was arrested for disturbing the peace, she said she'd wish she'd never thought of it. Isn't that sad? Here's some trivia about that commercialization for you. 80% of people will buy a card for their mother. It's the busiest day of the year for restaurants. We know that, right? You could never get into a restaurant on Mother's Day. More phone calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day. And next to Easter and Christmas, Mother's Day is the best for church attendance. Honoring your mother is biblical. I want to remind you of that fifth commandment. Do you remember it? Honor your father and mother. But there's a bit more to it than that. It says, honor your father and mother that your days will be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Whose days? Your days, not their days. This is not a plea for you to behave so that you don't burn them out and send them to an early grave. This was a first commandment with a promise. If you respect your parents, then I will let you live. <laughs> Anyone know what the punishment was for disrespecting your mom? Death. I kid you not, death, usually by stoning. Jesus himself tells us this in Matthew 15, verse 4. For God said, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. So who knows that that is a whole lot more of a deterrent than taking away TV privileges. <laughs> so on the subject of honor and women, I want to tell you a little bit about how Jesus treated women, not necessarily mothers in particular. First, I'd like to talk about the Samaritan woman at the well. Let's just set the scene a little. Jesus had been in Judea and had been successfully gaining followers, and many were baptized. The Pharisees had heard about this, and they were not pleased. So Jesus decided to head back to, towards Galilee and took a route through Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place that the Jews usually avoided, it probably wasn't a very popular decision amongst his disciples to go that way. The Samaritan people were considered unclean, and no self-respecting Jew would be seen dead with one. It tells us in John 4, verses 4 to 6, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. In Jesus' time, society was very patriarchal. That meant the man was the man. Women were little more than possessions. They had no authority. They couldn't hold property. They didn't even get to make decisions regarding their own children. One of the key jobs for women was to fetch water from the well, and the well might have been quite a long way away. In John 4, verses 7 to 9, it tells us a story. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This was radical. The woman herself points it out. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Jesus was a man, and men didn't speak to strange women. Jesus was a teacher. Teachers didn't speak to any women. Jesus was a Jew. Jews did not speak to Samaritans. They despised them for their mixed blood and mixed religious practices. A Jew would become ceremonially unclean if he drank from a vessel handled by a Samaritan, since Samaritans were considered unclean. And to top it all off, she was immoral. She had had several husbands, and now she was living with a man she was not married to. Talk about bucking the system. None of this faces Jesus. The woman knows that this is not the normal way of things, and she points that out to him. Jesus hints at his identity. If you knew who was asking, in John 4, verse 10, it tells us what he said. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She doesn't get it. How can you be greater than Jacob who gave us this well? John 4, 11, 12 tells us, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus explains what he means by God's gift of living water and what it is to have a personal relationship with him and be assured of eternal life. With ordinary water, our thirst returns, but to drink of his living water means that we will never thirst again because we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells the woman to go and tell her husband and bring him back with her to the well knowing full well that the man she is currently living with is not married to her and not her husband. Furthermore, she's had five husbands before him. Before she leaves to tell the community, she starts to wonder. She says she knows that a Messiah is coming and that he will explain everything. Jesus tells her, I who speak to you am he. She goes back to the town and tells everyone. She tells them that he knew all about her, even though they had never met. Could he be the Christ? They all come to see Jesus, and many accept him as their savior. They invite him to stay in their town, and many more believed as a result. This all happened because of a conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, strictly against the rules of society in those days. God used a humble woman of dubious background to bring the message of Christ to her community. Many of you will be familiar with the story of Mary and Martha. 
These two sisters graciously opened their home so that Jesus could teach there. They were the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42 tells us, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my, my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Mary sat in the room with all the men, hanging on Jesus' every word, while Martha single-handedly went about preparing food for everyone to eat. Talk about a no-no. Mary was a woman. How dare she hang out with the men? It just wasn't done. She was not in her traditional role as a homemaker. Jesus was teaching. She was not worthy to learn anything. She was a woman. Her sister was about ready to disown her. Can you imagine Martha? Imagine trying to prepare food for everyone with no help. She demands that Jesus send Mary out to give her a hand. To her surprise and frustration, he says no. Luke 10 verse 41 tells us what he said. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Well, typical man. Does he think this food is just going to make itself? Doesn't he know the rules? Mary shouldn't be in there with the men anyway. But he tells Martha that Mary has her priorities straight and should stay. How do you think she felt? She's running around after everyone, getting food and drink, and Jesus tells her that she's got her priorities wrong? At this point, I think the steam was probably coming out of Martha's ears. I can just see her standing there with her hands on her hips saying, fine, make your own sandwiches then. <laughs> what Martha didn't know was that time was short. It was a priority to listen to what Jesus had to say. All too soon, he would be dead, and there would be all the time in the world for busy work. Time was of the essence. There was an urgency to his message that none of them really understood. And he did not discriminate about who could hear it. It was just as important for women to hear what he had to say as it was for men, never mind the rules of the society of the day. His message of tr salvation transcended the rules. It applied to everyone. The last woman I want to talk about is another Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. This is Mother's Day after all. We should include one mother here. Mary is the most important mother of all. She was just a humble young girl, but she was chosen by God to bring the Savior into the world in his fleshly form. What an honor. 
God could have made him arrive any way he liked. He could have just sauntered into Nazareth like a drifter in a cowboy movie. But he came as a baby from a woman's womb. And in doing this, God raised motherhood to its ultimate honor and importance. Now, I want you to think for a minute about what Mary had already gone through. An angel had come to her and told her that the Holy Spirit was going to make her pregnant. Think about it. What on earth was she going to tell Joseph? Can you imagine the conversation she might have had with him? I think it may have gone something like this. Hey, Joseph, oh, we need to talk. Um, guess, guess what? I'm pregnant. What? Just imagine Joseph's reaction. Remember, God had not told him the plan yet. So he's going to find what Mary's saying pretty far-fetched. Oh, yeah, it was the Holy Spirit. Oh, sure, and pigs can fly. Well, I know one thing for sure, it's not mine. What did the neighbors think when she began to show? Can you imagine the gossip? Unfortunately, God quickly put Joseph in the picture. And we don't hear much about Jesus' childhood, but we do know that he had brothers and sisters, and Mary knew that he was special. How could she forget? Presumably, Mary treated him just like them. But Jesus was sinless because he was not only fully human, he was fully divine. So I think that means that there were no terrible twos and tantrums, and there was no teenage rebellion. He was a good boy. We do know, though, that Mary rebuked him at the temple when he got left behind and worried everyone sick. Imagine what it must have been like. The family had left Jerusalem, and one day later they discovered that Jesus isn't with them. He was only 12. Mary must have been frantic. Have you ever lost your child in a shopping mall for even only a few minutes? The terror is paralyzing. It was three days before Mary found him, and she understandably told him off. Luke 2, verse 48, tells us what she said. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. He replies, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph probably did not really understand, but the Bible tells us that Jesus obeyed his parents and went to Nazareth with them. But it adds one more important detail. It says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Their relationship changed when Jesus began to go about his heavenly father's business. Mary knew that God had big plans for Jesus, but not really what. How could she possibly grasp what was coming? The way he speaks to her when he turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana, calling her woman, starts her thinking. She may have been a little bit shocked, but instinctively she knew that he was no longer bound by an earthly relationship, but was in a fully divine one with God. Still, she was a bit confused. How was God going to use Jesus? We don't hear about Mary again until there began to be open hostility towards Jesus. 
she gathers a family delegation and goes to him trying to get him to tone it down a bit and not be quite so controversial. She probably said to his brothers, okay, you guys, we're going to sort your brother out before he gets himself arrested. Mark 3.31 tells us that then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. So much for that idea. Jesus didn't even acknowledge them as his family. It goes on in 33 and 34 to tell us, who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And you notice that he includes brother and sister, including women again. He talked about the family of God instead. He was emphasizing that membership in God's family as evidenced by obedience to him is more important than evidence in our human families. And this must have been really difficult for them because it's as if he disowns them. They're there because they're concerned about him and here he is completely rejecting them. I can imagine Mary saying, now wait a minute, I changed his diapers. Who does he think he is? But she was humble, and she sensed something special was going on. And the next time we see Mary is at the crucifixion. Do you think she thought, I knew it? He pushed it too far this time. Why did he have to be so radical? Couldn't he see this coming? Well, of course he could see it coming, but not in the way that Mary thought. She didn't understand why God, who had honored her so much, would let this wonderful young man die like this, with criminals even. Surely there was much more left for him to do. He was so young. I wonder if Mary thought he would save himself at the 11th hour. The soldiers were mocking him and saying that if he really was who he claimed to be, then he could just get right down off that cross. Did Mary hold out hope that he would do just that, I wonder? Was she willing him to use his supernatural power to save himself? Mary was watching Christ's execution. Her son, her special boy. Imagine if you had to watch your own child's execution. Even the electric chair is way more humane than what Jesus suffered. But even on the cross, in all that agony, Jesus thought of his mother. I think it's very significant that despite what he is going through, Jesus makes provision for his mom. He could be forgiven for being a little bit preoccupied with taking the sins of the world on his shoulders and going through such horrendous suffering. I think we'd understand if he hadn't said anything. And it must have been difficult to even speak during such an ordeal. And yet he thinks of his mother and he appoints John to fill the role of a son who would take care of her. And he tells Mary to think of John as a son. He is dying and yet he wants to be sure that his mom will be well taken care of. This is not a trivial thing. No one speaks of trivial things when they are in the throes of death. They speak of important things that they want to be sure are communicated before they die. He didn't have the opportunity to take them aside and talk about it. 
And he probably wasn't capable of saying very much because of the agony and distress of crucifixion. It's very difficult to breathe when you're being crucified. It's a suffocating kind of death. So it would have been very difficult for him to get the words out. Even though he was in so much agony, he still makes a point of providing for his mother. He knows that she's going to be devastated by his death, and he thinks of her and not himself. In John 19, verse 26, it tells us, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Every word of the, vi of the Bible is vital. God did not put this little bit in as a filler. It is crucial. What better way could there be to demonstrate the reverence we should have for our mothers than by having Jesus provide for his even while he was in the midst of dying? We don't learn of Mary's reaction, but it must have deeply touched her heart. Even though he's the son of God, Mary was his earthly mother. She had delivered him into his fleshly form, nursed him and brought him up. When he skinned his knees as a boy, she kissed it better. She loved him. She watched him grow into such a fine young man. He was special to her, but she was special to him. His father in heaven had appointed her to look after him. There is no greater honor and privilege, and Jesus appreciated her. The Bible doesn't tell us much about his relationship with his mom, but I think he loved her deeply as evidenced by his tenderness towards her at the crucifixion. After the resurrection, Mary finally understood. Luke tells us in Acts that she gathered with the disciples and Jesus' brothers to pray to the man with whom they were so familiar but had never truly known. Do you truly know him? Or do you just know of him? Do you sense his presence in your life? He's there, you know. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And did you know that you're not really a Christian unless you have that personal relationship with Jesus? Or you may come to church every week, even volunteer. But there is still something missing in your life. Maybe you have an emptiness that nothing seems to fill. Blaise Pascal said that everyone has a God-shaped vacuum inside them. It's God-shaped because the only thing that fits in that hole is God. It doesn't matter what you've done or how unworthy you may feel. You are worthy of Jesus. Think of the woman at the well. He gave her the gift of salvation even though she felt unworthy of it. Maybe that you feel that you will never be worthy of going to heaven. Perhaps you feel that you'll never be good enough. Well, you know what? It's not about being worthy or good enough. We have a come-as-you-are God. He loves us just the way we are. So in closing, if this applies to you and you would like to start a relationship with Jesus right now, I'm going to pray a prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life as your Savior. And you can just pray silently along with me. So you just bow your heads. Jesus, I want to put my past behind me and start a new life with you at the center. 
I repent of everything I've done to leave you out of my life. I want to spend eternity in heaven with you. And I ask for your free gift of salvation. And I'm praying this in your holy name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me for the first time today, then I want to be the first person to welcome you into the family of God. Please tell somebody that you prayed that prayer and made that decision. Tell Pastor Ben or one of the staff or somebody that you know who's a Christian because we want to celebrate with you. We want to come alongside you and help you grow in that relationship with Jesus. So once again, I'd like to wish all the moms a very happy Mother's Day and to say thank you for all you do. And thank you all for inviting me. Thank you, Chris. I love the special care that Jesus had for women. What a blessing to be challenged with that word. You know, I was just took a few notes here that how Jesus treated women with no partiality, with no shame. He spoke confidence into ladies' lives, full of love, worthy. He honored them. He included them. And I was just thinking, though, for the ladies in our lives, we should take Jesus' example to heart. Lord, help us. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.